Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive and together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. Signs, wonders and miracles will take place in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Alright, so this is what we're going to do. We're pausing this subject here actually. We'll pause it here and um, I'll see how the Lord leads going forward. We might do another eschatologic series before the year ends or we'll do an apologetic series depending on which direction the Lord leads me. Now, I, I want to, because I, now we're going to study the mark of the beast differently, okay? We're going to study that as a subject. We're going to study the man of sin as a subject differently. Alright, so what I want is, I just want to explain to you how that term, okay, the beast is used in scripture. Now understand, we are just taking the term separately. Do you understand? We're not teaching the mark of the beast. Are you following? So there's no continuation to this one. Alright, so I just want to explain to you how that term is used all through scriptures so that... If you want to do your own study, you can just push ahead. But I just want to explain the use of that term. Remember the word I said when we are studying the Antichrist, right? To get the meaning of scriptural terms, we must endeavor to use Bible terms in what? In what? In Bible ways. Don't forget that. Use Bible terms in what? In Bible ways. Can we say that together? We must endeavor to use Bible terms in what? Bible ways. Alright. Now, in biblical interpretation, scriptures must interpret what? Scriptures. So, two things you must not forget in biblical interpretation. Number one, Bible terms must be used in what? Bible ways. And scripture must interpret what? Scriptures. Perfect. Now, so, the, the term, uh, the, the word beast, the word beast, first of all, you must realize that the word beast um, it, it, it was used to, to denote all kinds of animals. So, all kinds of animals in the scripture, especially, especially in the King James Version, was used as beasts. So, first of all, um, Genesis, no, Psalm 36, verse 6. Psalm 36, verse 6. So, Psalm 36, verse 6. Psalm 36, verse 6. We're looking at the biblical use of the word beast. Psalm 36 and verse 6. So it says, Am I right? Your, right? your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and what? Beast. Now when it says, O Lord, you preserve man and beast, um, that word beast there would mean all kinds of animals. Am I right? That's what it would mean. So the Lord keeps both human beings and animals. So we realize that the word beast can be a generic word for all kinds of animals. For instance, if I said oh, um, the word man, right? The word man in the Bible, except there's context to it, would man mean man and woman? Yeah, it would mean man and woman, right? So, beast could mean all kinds of animals. Okay. Now, Genesis chapter 1 verse 25. But you know, our emphasis is especially in the epistles, okay? But I just want to give you a bit of background. Genesis 1 25. Uh, Genesis 1 25. It says, God made the beasts of the earth 
after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. So we, we, we see here that there was a kind of separation between the beasts and the cattle. So some theologians will say, well, this was a generic separation between domesticated animals and animals with beastly nature. Okay, so uh, don't put too much meaning into that. It's just beasts referring to animals. All right. Now, when you look at certain animals were also used to denote certain characters. So let's look at the serpent. Let's look at the serpent. Alright, so in Revelation chapter 12, it, well, in Genesis, you know God created the serpent, you know, and it was more cunning than every beast of the field. Now, let's go to Revelation 12, 9, quickly about the serpent. I really don't want to spend much time in these areas because of where we're going. But Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, um, and the great dragon was thrown down. Now, one of the things you must understand, well, as we go on, you'll see, is that um, artistic, and I think Pastor Mary and I were talking about it yesterday, you know, one of these days. Uh, we're talking about movies and interpretation of scriptures. Okay, I think she was studying on the manor, uh, right? And she was talking about what she was reading in the Bible, uh, the way the manor was described, and the movies she has watched about the manor, how they don't correlate. So, you know, it's good to entertain yourself with movies, but you need to watch because sometimes those movies are acted in such a way that it will flow. Now, when you also read of dragon, you see, the, 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 the image that comes, when you say the great dragon, what image comes to your mind? Who, who, watch, who, who watches movies a lot? I don't watch movies. Uh, which movie is that? Eh? Melly. Is it, is it Melly or what? Merely. Oh, okay. so, that's the, so that's the problem now. So when you just read dragon in the scripture, that image superimposed. So you are not able to... I don't watch a lot of movies. I, I know I think I have an idea of what dragon is, but not dragon according to, you know, what you've just mentioned. So, <laughs> so I know that when you hear the word dragon, I was explaining something to someone, I think, after service on Sunday. You remember when I asked you what was the context of third John? Right? And all of you just shouted truth. You know the reason you shouted truth? That was not the context. I was emphasizing truth, truth. Now, because you've heard me emphasizing truth, immediately I mentioned you just shouted truth. So that's one thing. Alright? That's one thing. When you watch a lot of movies, especially beasts, you know, you have that horror, that horror image is already there. So the Bible sits on that image. So you even realize that when you use some other translation, that one, what he has referred to as beast will just be animal. You know if you have read it as animal, that image of beast will not sit. So it will also just give a different um, image to the subject of the Antichrist. Okay, let's go quickly. Verse what now? We're in verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called what? The devil. So we know that the great dragon is the serpent and Satan. Okay. Who does what? Who does what? Are you seeing that word come up again? Deceive what? The whole world. And it was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. <laughs> we'll spend time to, to talk about this. Because I know some of you have heard that there was a coup in heaven. There was a coup in heaven. 
Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. <laughs> Do you realize Jesus says that Satan has been a liar from the beginning? From what? The beginning. Okay. So go and study that. From the beginning, Jesus said he has been a liar. From the beginning. Okay. Second Corinthians eleven three. Do you realize that if you were a pastor, you would preach about the Antichrist the way you had been taught? How many of you think so? Harry, that's how you would have preached it. You wouldn't study it; you would just rehearse it. Okay. Second Corinthians eleven, verse three. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, so it tells us the place of deception. Because if your image, I think we talked about this in the office one time, if your image of the deception was that he plucked apple my book of Bible story, and gave Eve to eat, it, it has altered your interpretation already. You are not allowing the scriptures to interpret scriptures. But let's, let's stay with what we're teaching tonight. So he says, if by scarcity your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So it tells us the motive of the dragon. Remove the image of the dragon. Remove the image of the beast. Remove all those surrounding things around that image. What is the essence of the dragon and the beast? Deception. What is the content of that deception? Just to remove your mind from the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. So what do we understand? Paul explaining the temptation of Eve to us in the garden. It was the fact that Satan came and spoke words to Eve to remove her mind from the simplicity and the devotion to just obey what God said. Do not partake of this. And remember the temptation Satan used the words of God out of context. So when you also come to Jesus, who was the last Adam, it still played out. When, Adam, when Satan tempted Jesus, it was still quoting scriptures out of context. But what did Jesus use to reply Satan? It is written within context. So what would Eve have done to Satan to overcome that temptation? Quote exactly what God said and stay by it. How does Satan deceive today taking scriptures out of context? Do you understand? But this is what I want you to pick. Let me not go too far into something else. But this is what I want, to, this is what I want you to pick, right? Okay, let me, just ex- let me just explain this to you. You know, sometimes we don't know when we should take scriptures literally and when we should actually understand what happened. For instance, when you look at the temptation of Jesus, your mind will tell you that Jesus <laughs> climbed to a mountain, right? Then Satan now came to that mountain. I was talking with him. Is that what plays in your mind? Okay. Which mountain? What's the highest mountain in the world? Mount Everest. If you stand in Mount Everest, can you see the whole world? It's just simple questions. It's very simple, not complex. You can't. 
But that's the highest mountain in the world. Which mountain do you think Jesus, and that mountain is not in Jerusalem. Is it in Jerusalem? Is Mount Everest in Jerusalem? Or we'll just buy that 50-50 book and distribute around the church. Library. Okay, so first of all, we, we understand that geographically, the highest mountain in the world is not in Jerusalem. So we understand that's geography. You don't need gifts of the Spirit to interpret that. So which mountain do you think Satan would have to, took? Which mountain do you think Satan would have taken Jesus to that he would see the glories of the whole world? If, if you stand in Mount Everest... If you stand in Mount Everest, you can't see the whole world. Mount Everest is not in Jerusalem. Now, he took him up to a mountain and showed him all the glories of the world. So, which mountain would you likely think that Satan had taken Jesus that he saw the world glory? Okay. You don't know, right? Okay. Do you think in your mind as you are seated there, you can see the whole world? Some of you have traveled abroad and you don't have passports. So the same place Satan deceived Jesus, deceived Adam, deceived Eve, sorry, deceived Eve, the deception in the mind. In the mind. See, your greatest temptation takes place in your mind and you know. Every stealing has been perfected in the mind. You've gone into the bank, you know what... Do you understand? This is the seat of temptation. Okay. So, drop that image of... <laughs> you know, say that, okay, just say, come, climb. Are you tired? Say, no, come, I want to show you something. No, 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 no. Once you have that image of interpretation, is good. Okay, let's go quickly. Alright, so... So, we see that Satan is symbolic of... Uh, sorry, serpent is symbolic of Satan, which speaks of craftiness. Alright? Which speaks of craftiness. That is why if you go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, when you read about the fivefold ministry, one of the things that Jesus um, set up the fivefold ministry is to deal with that craftiness that comes from false teachings. Alright? So Satan here is represented as serpent and that serpent is signified by deception. Now let's look at another animal. I want to show you a couple of animals before we get to the beast. Let's look at another animal. Um, horses are symbolic of warfare. Psalm 33 verse 17. Psalm 33 verse 17. Psalm 33 17. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. So here, a horse is used as what? A symbol of what? Uh, warfare. So when you see a horse, what you're trying to really pick out there is warfare. Go to um, Psalm 147, verse 10. Psalm 147, verse 10. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Psalm 147, and verse 10. Praise God. Are you there? Psalm 147, 10. It says, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not, partake, he does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. So when he talks about the legs of a man and the strength of a horse, what is he just talking about? Strength of a horse is talking about what? Warfare. So when you read about horses or when you read... Now, so what will now happen is when you read the book of Revelation and you see that he's riding on a white horse, you should now understand that the emphasis is on the color white. 
Right? The emphasis is on the color white. And in the book of Psalms, he tells us, ride on triumphantly in truth and in loving kindness. So, when you now go to the book of Ephesians, you now realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So, the first thing is we're not looking at a carnal horse. So, simply riding on the white horse will be coming with the purity of truth. Alright? So, if we have the time, we'll look at colors in scriptures and what they mean. But let's leave all that. Go to Jeremiah 4.13. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 13. Jeremiah 4.13. Behold, he goes up like clouds, and his chariots like the wild wind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. So all of this concept just speaks of the strength of the horse, the speed of the horse, depicts battle, because that was their weapon of warfare in those days. I'll challenge you to say that if the scriptures were to be written today, those horses would be replaced with bombs. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, how many of you, um, how many of you, on this, now, you know, like for instance, I don't know if my children know what a cassette is. I, I'm not sure if they have an idea. I'm not sure they, maybe someone like Zara will, will not know what a cassette is, most likely. Right? But if I say, if I say cassettes, do, how many of you know what cassettes are? Okay. Some of you still don't know. Alright, but, but maybe your father didn't have the tape in those days. But you know what a cassette is, right? You realize that if we're writing today, even CDs, I think CDs are almost going out of... So you realize that, for instance, if we were to read a book that was written many years ago, the person might refer to the word cassettes. Right? And if we bring it to our modern day language, it would, it would likely not be cassette. It would be something else. Okay? So it's the same thing. When we talk about warfare today, we're not talking about horses. We're talking about biological weapons, chemical weapons. We're talking about bombs. We're talking about AK-47. Alright? So that's what describes. So, but you also understand that when the Bible was written, it was written because at that time, this animal, the horse, was a, a, a symbol of strength, of power, and of warfare. Now, the context actually now matters because there were certain times that the Israelites themselves were referred to as horses. So, Jeremiah 5, 8. Go with me. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 8. Am I right? No, I, I think I missed my scripture there. But if you... Uh, I think I missed my scripture there. But if you... Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I got it right. They were fed, they were well fed, lusty horses. I'm talking about Israel, Jerusalem's godlessness, okay? So in verse um, Jeremiah 5, verse 8, it said, They were well fed, lusty horses, each one named after his neighbor's wife. That means they were so well fed that they were committing adultery. But here, you realize that the whole of Israel, pay attention, was referred to as what? Horses. So you now understand that, for instance, here you could say that the whole nation of Israel were referred to as horses. So, the characteristics of the horse that was picked by the prophet Jeremiah here was the fact that they were named after their neighbor's wife. They were going after their neighbor's wife in committing adultery. Alright. Now, 
Let's go to Psalm 74 verse 14. Let's now start talking about the beast. Um, pause there. Pause. Let's look at another animal before we settle on the beast. Let's look at dogs. Psalm 22 verse 12. Go to Psalm 22 verse 12. I just want to show you, you use a few animals first. Before we get into the beast. Psalm 22 verse 12. Psalm, Psalm, Psalm. Where's my Psalm? Okay, it says, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. So, what do you th- who do you think this Psalm is talking about? Now, we don't have the time to go through the whole Psalm. But actually, this Psalm was talking about Jesus. Was talking about Jesus. It says, for, go to verse um, 16. Go to verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. When you read, they pierced my hands and my feet. Who do you think this is referring to in scriptures? Jesus. Can we correct to say that? Then the next verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, for for my clothing they cast lots. Who's, in all of scripture, whose garments did the soldiers cast lots for? Jesus. So would we be right to say, when he talked about dogs, Surrounding him and a band of evil men encompassing him, he was referring to the Roman soldiers as dogs. Now, let's say you don't have that understanding and you read that dogs were surrounding me, what would you think of? Assertion dog. Right? And if you interpret it that way, would you be wrong or right? You would be wrong. Come on, it's clear. You would be wrong because. Now, you must understand that the book of Psalms at that time, they were writing prophetically and poetically. So, it was both a poem and uh, prophetic words. So, actually, in this passage of scripture, there was, a, there was a, a song of anguish, a lamentation about what was going to happen to Jesus. So, he referred to those who do not have the covenant as dogs. Now, if someone refers to you today as a dog, it will be very insulting. But they, at that time, understood the language. Now, let me explain it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 26. Remember the story. Matthew 15. So, let's not just take our words for it. Let's, let's take the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 26. Thank you, Lord. Matthew 15, 26. Now, this is very, very important because you must understand that every, for those animals, there was a nature, there was a reason they were used as symbols. 
So in Matthew 15, 26, it says, Remember, verse 21, the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. Let's read from verse 21 quickly. Please follow me. Jesus went from there and drew into the district of Tyre and said, And a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman, pay attention, from that region came and began to cry and saying, Have mercy on me. For me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer a word, and his disciples came and employed him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting to us. But he answered and said, Pay attention to what Jesus said. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow before him and say, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Who was Jesus referring to as dogs here? Huh? Yeah, but in this passage now, who is the... who? Who will contextually be the dog? It's okay. I know your mind is like, ah, just leave, leave what it means to you. Just look at the Bible. Right? No, not here. In the woman. Forget Gentile and Covenant. You are thinking too far. Just here. Who is he referring to as the dog here? The woman. Who, where is this woman from? 21. 22. Where is the woman from? It's there now. Look at verse 22. Did you bring a novel to church or a Bible? Where is the woman from? Canaan. She's a Canaanite woman. See, I want you to follow so that it's just easy for you to... Yeah. She's a Canaanite woman, right? Then Jesus said he was sent to only where? The lost sheep. Because, you know what? Let me explain now. I can just say dogs mean those that don't have the covenant. Okay, but... Anybody can stand, still stand up and just say, okay, dog means this. So we need to see from Scripture why that is true. That's why I'm asking you all of this question. Okay? Because it's not just about making a statement about what the Bible says. It's about seeing it from the Bible so you're able to... So first of all, you must understand that the region where this woman came from was, was told us by Matthew. Then the mission of Jesus... To the specific people was told us also by Matthew. Right. Now look at the response of the woman. But, um, verse, verse 20, 27. But she said, Lord, but even the dogs free feed on the crumbs from which fall from their master's table. So obviously, this woman did not find it insulting. Uh, do we agree on that? Do you think that if you were trusting God for healing and now met to me, a man of God, and say, man of God, my daughter is... Well, you know the way they do it here, and you know, you have cardboard paper. Man of God, my daughter is sick. And then you say, ah, my healing power is not for dogs. You say, see, it is healing I came from. If you, do you understand? Now, because of your concepts of dog, you are offended. The woman knew what Jesus meant. So, he even said, listen, I might not be in the covenant, but at least... From the table, that healing bread, something will fall and I can receive. Look at the response of Jesus. Then Jesus said to her, Oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Anna. Can you see that Hey, her understanding of dog is different from her understanding of dogs? Because in, the, in their own time, they understood that the uh, Israelites referred to them with that name. It was common. Just as our brothers refer to us as what? I don't know what they refer to us as, but I think, uh, was that infidels or something? They say, do you understand? They might even be using one animal to call us. We might be pigeons, and we don't know. So you just go somewhere, and they say, ah, this pigeon will die, and you are thinking, ah, a bird that will fly, not knowing that you will. 
you should be saying your last prayer. Do you understand that? So they refer to, and that is why, you will pay attention here, that is why when Jesus was giving Peter the vision in Acts chapter 19 about Cornelius, who was a Roman general, he brought food, both clean and unclean. Right? And, and he says, eat and eat, um, kill and eat animals. And Peter says, I will not eat what is unclean. And he said, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. Which means the salvation I have brought to the Gentile nation, don't say they cannot be saved. Are you following? Uh, come on, are you following this now? So you can see that the context of animals, pay attention because I'm driving somewhere. The context of animals is not just the fierceness of the bulldog. You know, so sometimes when you just read the word dog, maybe if you are the type that have a local dog, you know, that is what will come to your mind. Then if you have big essential dog, that is what will come to you. No, it's rather a kind of nature or referring to the covenant. Okay. Now, um, the book of Proverbs also talks about dogs that return to their vomit. That means someone you counsel and counsel and counsel over time and they don't hear. People who put their mistakes on repeat mode are referred to as dogs. All right. You remember Jesus, I'll just give you a couple of stuff. Remember that Jesus referred to Herod as a fox. Right? When he says, go tell that fox that today and tomorrow I'm performing wonders. So there was an, there's a nature there that was being referred to. Now you also know that um, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as a lamb. Are you here or you're going home? Say amen if you're here. Okay. So he referred to Jesus as a lamb. Am I correct? What do you think is the nature of a lamb? Most of us are not used to lambs because they don't raise lambs here. But what do you think is the nature of a lamb? Huh? Humble, quiet. Right? Okay. You are referred to as sheep. Oh, oh you don't know. <laughs> you are the sheep of this pasture. Right? What do you think is that nature being referred to as a sheep? No, don't look at yourself. You know, because if you look at it, you say, I'm tiger. Don't look at yourself. Let's just look at the Bible. We know in you, sheep does not connote, by faith, we're calling you sheep. All right. In, in, what's the nature of a sheep? What do you think? So when you go to Galatians chapter 5, you see gentleness, kindness, meekness, lowliness, and all of that. Right? So if, according to the scripture referring us to as sheep, if, if I talk about the flock of Christ. Do you, if I talk about the flock of Christ and you haven't read that the Bible referred to as uh, you as sheep, what will come to your mind? Huh? You just have in your mind what? Sheep with one shepherd. Do you understand? Now, the Bible refers to us as pastors, as shepherds over the flock of Christ. But I'm not carrying a stick. Do you understand? And you're not a sheep. You're a human being. But you're referred to as a sheep, and I'm referred to as a shepherd. So you can see that animal representation in the scripture. So, you, you, so for instance, if we don't have such explanation, and you now read about the gathering in of sheep, if you're not careful, now, it, for the sheep is easy. You're not finding it difficult because you are used to it. You read it in scripture. The problem is when you now take it to the beast. When you now hear, 
Ah! The bee hits your head so hard and all your natural understanding of beast is dropped. And one heavy, ferocious image appears. That is where the problem is. Which you don't see if you read sheep. Because over time, you have read, my sheep hear my voice. You know, you read all of that. So you're conversant with the language. You understand. You see yourself as sheep. So it's easy. But when you now start going to the book of Revelation, especially when they now say, he has the tail of a lion. You will now cut lion tail and put. His eyes are red. You will now call color red. So by the time you draw, ah, he said, they will kill us. Antichrist, Jesus, blow the trumpet. You know, but all of those things, all of those things speaks of the diverse nature that manifests in one man. Right? That is why you realize that even though you are a sheep, huh, there are certain times when they torture you in certain places. When you start saying, Christianity is not stupidity. That I am meek does not mean I'm quiet. You know, you know that you know that is not the lion of the tribe of Judah that is about to rise. You know that a beastly nature is about to come. Do you understand? So you you can you can have those things there. All right. So are we clear on that? All right. So we realize that those who were opposing Christ were referred to as dogs that surrounded him in the book of Psalms. You, Psalm 68 verse 30. Let me show you this quickly. Wow. Psalm 68 verse 30. It's, it's so interesting when you study the scripture like this. Scripture will just begin to come alive. Psalm 68 30. Psalm 68 verse 30. Quickly, quickly. Rebuke the beast in the reeds. The heads of bulls with the calves of the people. Trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the people who delight in war. When you read pieces of silver, what comes to your mind? When Jesus was sold. So you must, if you did English literature, you will really understand how the book of Psalms were written, right? It's written in literature terms. So when you study literature, you know, literature can be writing about the death of a man and say an Iroquois has fallen. And you understand that it's a man that has died. If you have the picture of an Iroquois, then what happens? It alters your interpretation. As I've said this, Psalm 73, verse 22. As I've said this, Psalm 73, 22. Now, you must understand that the book of Psalms was not written by David alone. That's very important because every time you go to Psalms, you say, David said. Psalm 73 is not a Psalm of David, it was a Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 73, verse uh, 22. It says, When my heart was embittered, and I was pierced within. Then, pay attention, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. So Asaph referred to himself as a beast. Look at what he says. Go up again. He says, um, what's that now? Verse 12. He says, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced. So you see, bitterness releases a beastly nature. That is why you see that when people are bitter, they don't mind, you know, when somebody is bitter, they don't mind going to the extra mile to tarnish you, to kill you, to do all kinds of things. You know, so it, it, that person almost becomes senseless. That beastly nature is revealed. So as I've said, when I was bitter, my heart was embittered and I was pierced. Go to verse 22. My heart was embittered and I was pierced. Verse 22. It says, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. So he referred to himself as a beast. Go to Psalm 49, verse 12. So you can see that beasts 
can refer to a person or a group of people. Psalm 49 verse 12. Go with me quickly. Psalm 49 and verse 12. It says, But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perishes. Some translation says, A man in honor who doesn't know it is like the beast of the field that perishes. So to be in honor and not know it, you will act inappropriately and you will be like the beast of the field that perishes. So the concept I want you to get here very quickly is to understand the fact is to understand the fact that you can put up the New King James Version. I think that's, that's the version that uses that. The man that's an owner and nobody notice like the beast of the field that perishes. Or the King James Version. Any of those two I think uses that. Now one, one of the things are what's that? 49.12 Nevertheless, man, though, nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like what? The beast of the field that perishes. So he refers to himself as a beast here. If you are in honor and you don't recognize it. Now, what I want you to get is the characteristic. The characteristic of that beastly nature. Okay, now, let's now begin to progress. To know that beasts also refer to nations. So I'll just give you the scriptures because I really want us to get to... Um, I really want us to get to the epistles and we're not close. Psalm 74 verse 14, um, the beast referred to nations there. Isaiah 27 and verse 1, the beast referred to a nation there. Now let's quickly go to Ezekiel 29 3. Psalm 74 14, Isaiah 27 1, but we are reading Ezekiel 29 3. Let's read Ezekiel 29 and verse 3. Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 3. Behold, now look at 29 verse 3, okay? But we will go to verse, okay, let's just read. Let's just read from verse. Let's read from verse 1 quickly, okay? Come with me, Ezekiel 29. In the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th of the month, the word of the Lord came to me saying to Ezekiel, Son of man, set your face against war. Hey, hey, are you there? Set your face against what? You are not there. You are looking at the board. That's why you are not there. Okay, set your face against who now? Pharaoh. King of who? Egypt. And prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Verse 3. Speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Who is this whole scripture talking about? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Are you following me at all? Then he says, The great monster that lies in the midst of his river. Who is the great monster that lies in the midst of his river? Pharaoh. Now, if you use other translations, instead of the word monster, he uses the word beast. The King James Version, I think, will use the word beast. He says, Oh, great beast who lies in the midst of his river, who has said, My river is my own, I have made it myself. So it, it, it was referring to the pompous nature of the king of Pharaoh. The king Pharaoh, sorry. So you realize in this scripture that Pharaoh was referred to as the beast. Now, pay attention. If the first two verses were not in that scripture and you just read verse 3, you know, maybe Pharaoh was taken out there and you read the... the uh, look at... Exactly, thank you. God, God bless you. It says, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon. So who is the great dragon here? 
Pharaoh. So when he talks about the great dragon, if Pharaoh was taken out, and you just read the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which had said, my river is my own, and I have made it for myself. Come on, talk to me. What image will come to your mind? One mysterious, big creature like that, that is, and this is where it's funny, in your mind, because they have said that he lieth in the midst of his rivers. You will just say, this man, he does not stay in the land. He's inside water. That's the, that's the major problem with how we interpret the book of Revelation. This one is easy because the answer is there. Now you can see that if you read King James, you will refer to it as the great dragon. If you read New American Standard Bible, it refers to it as what? The great monster. Some translation says the great beast. It's just referring to the pride of Pharaoh. One man that Moses killed. It's not one mysterious. So that's how the Bible relates. Now we'll go on. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we have time to do Daniel. Uh, can we read quickly? Just show you something in Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. I still have a lot of scriptures. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 verse 1. Let me just show you. Daniel 7. The use of the word beasts. The use of the word beast. The use of the word beast. Daniel 7 verse 1. Chapter 7 and verse 1. I'm going to read very quickly. So please follow me in your scriptures. Daniel 7 verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind, in his mind as he lay on his bed. And he wrote the following dream down and related the following summary of it. So Daniel saw the dream, he wrote the dream. Verse 2, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, four wings of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts, four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one, one another. Then he began to describe what he saw. Now go with me please to verse 16. So he was describing all of that vision. Remember I said four great beasts. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. 17. These great beasts, great beasts, pay attention, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. So who are those four beasts? Four kings. So history tells us of these four kings. So the beasts there were referred to as what? Kings. People again. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I'm just trying to see if we, there was another. I think that's fine. So if you read, uh, if you read the whole of that, you will just see the whole image of Daniel and and everything he was talking about. Let's go to the epistles. We need to get there quickly. So what I want you to pick is the fact that the fact that they saw beast and they documented it as beast. Now pay attention. If the interpretation was not written for us, we might likely not feel that these people were kings that lived in Daniel's day. We would have just assumed that four great beasts are going to rise. and It's just the image to describe what, you know, um, what is happening or what's going on. Alright? And sometimes, I don't know, but I, I plan one day God will help us in, in teaching dreams and interpretation of dreams. Though I had a dream this afternoon, so <laughs> I shared it with my wife. Uh, interestingly, and you know, some of our pastors were giving cars, so I'll just share it with you, right? So, um, the pastors in our ministry, they were all giving cars. We were asked to go and pick a car. So, they picked all kinds of cars. So, I picked a, um, I don't know how many of you know these cars. You know, you know a Tundra, that, uh, what's it called? That car, Hilux. You know the Hilux, the white one they use inside? 
But you know the very bigger one, that's tundra with big tires. You know, so she asked me, ah, why did you pick that one? Now, in the first place, it's not, a, it's not that God is going to give us cars. Do you understand? So I told her that, oh, well, what, what that actually meant was the fact that because of the face I am in right now, you know, when you go to construction sites, you have to climb a lot of stuff, you're like bulldozing, you're walking in places where you need to be strong and sturdy, where you don't need to sink. I said, that's what the Spirit of God is saying, that that's the face I am now. So this, the sense I should have in my spirit is a sense of somebody walking in such a treacherous side not to sink. Now, I can carry that and start thanking God that, oh, uh, what's that song that you guys sing? I've waited for has come to pass. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if I document that vision, somebody can just go and now interpret that thing and, you know, build the image of that car and just miss it completely. I, do you understand what I'm trying to say? So, interpretation is very key, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Okay. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32 now. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Let's see the, word of, the use of the word beast in the epistles, especially with the apostles that follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32... Paul said something very interesting while writing to the Corinthians about his experience in Ephesus. He says, look at what he said. Uh, verse 31 says, I affirm, brethren, by boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives, if from human motives, so pay attention there, I fought with wild beasts, plural, plural, wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? If, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, most times when we teach this scripture, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts. We use it for friends and everything. But actually, when you read the context of it, we're talking about doctrine. We're talking about doctrine there. We're talking about doctrine. But let's, let's stay with, with, the, with what we're saying. So it says, I fought with the beast of Ephesus. Now, the question is, did Paul literally fight with beasts in Ephesus? So, from what we have been talking about, what do you think the answer is? No, right? So, what do you think happened at Ephesus? Why did he say, I fought with the wild beast in Ephesus? What do you think happened? Yeah? Just guess before we read the Bible. What do you think happened? Opposition, yeah? Who else? Stubborn people. Yeah? Great persecution. Yeah, so you're not far from the truth. But let's see how wild it was. Why did you refer to it as wild beast? Acts 19. Let's read the story. Acts 19 quickly. Verse 21 to 34. So we have to go to the book of Acts and see what happened in Acts 19. Praise God. Verse 21 to 34. Are you, are you still here? Say amen if you're here. Alright. Now, after these things were finished, Paul proposed in his heart, Acts 19, 21, in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see in Rome. And uh, having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, so he sent Timothy and Erastus who were ministering to him, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Start paying close attention. No small disturbance concerning the way. The way here would be the gospel and the message that Paul was preaching. There was no small disturbance. If I say there was no small disturbance, what do you think I'm saying? There was a lot of... <laughs> yeah, it was not small. It was not... Yeah, it was a huge thing, right? You know, it's like when you say, no, be small thing, no. Do you understand? Okay. Alright. So, <laughs> verse 24. For a man. For a man. 
named Demetrius, a silversmith, pay attention, who made silver shrines of Ephemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with workmen of similar trade and said, Men, you know our prosperity depends upon this business. So he says, Our prosperity depends on these small shrines we are selling of the gods' Ephemis. Then you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Are you seeing the contention? This guy began to say, listen, our prosperity depends on people buying these little gods we are making. And this guy called Paul, he is now causing people to turn away from the faith. Then he says, verse 28, when they heard this, no, 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 no. Verse 27, not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. That one of the reasons people do not give up false doctrine is the prosperity that comes with it. This man here was not concerned about whether they dethroned Artemis. He has said this truth that the way, if we are not selling shrines, we will not make money. That's the motive. That's the motive. Now look at what it says. It says, when they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began to cry out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed out with one accord into the, um, the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. And some of the archers who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. <laughs> They had a one Paul. Don't go. No, Paul was also very stubborn. It was because of what you were preaching that the whole city is in confusion. You say you want to go and see what was happening. Why? I mean, they had to resist him. <laughs> some of the crowd, verse 32. So then some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. If you ask people who are rioting, and it's true. You know, it's not today confusion style. If you just, just, just run out, let's just take four people with sticks and just start running and say, we know go great. Before they get to Finima, the crowds will be most. If you call somebody and say, this we know go great. What are you? They say, I don't know. I see somebody, they run. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it, these things <laughs> have happened in Bible days. This is what we're just shouting. They didn't know why they were shouting. Have you run before when you didn't know what people were running about? <laughs> he said, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them, all as they shouted for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Imagine two hours. How, how intense this God was in their life. For two hours, this is not praise and worship, this is not wow, this is not gratitude. People were just shouting. Great is Artemis, the God of the Ephesians. Then he says, and after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians, look at this, is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven. So they said this Artemis fell down from heaven and the city of Ephesus is the custodian. That's, where he's got, that's why he said, I wrestled with the white beast of Ephesus. He, he had to fight this opposition to the gospel. Sadly, after all those wrestling that Paul did, 
we've lost we've lost Ephesus to to Islam. Modern day Ephesus is Turkey. It's an Islamic nation. So you can imagine that to recapture that nation again, somebody has to wrestle with stronger beasts. You see, if we don't keep territories, we will lose territories. Christianity is warfare. Are you hearing? Look at that. So he, he did all of that. And um, so then, you know, so let's just leave all that. We don't need all those details. But you understand what Paul was saying. So when Paul wrote that I wrestled with the beast of Ephesus, he was talking about these magicians, these people who caused the whole city to come against him. And you would realize that it was because of Paul that this whole city went into confusion. Are, are you following that now? So that is what he meant as beast. Now, I would ask again, if we don't have this explanation, and you just read that Paul fought with the beast of Ephesus, what image is going to flow in your mind? One dangerous creature. Okay, so let's read now. Let's, let's, let's look at how other people use, use the word. Let's look at Peter. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter, I really want us to read these ones, because these are the ones we can quickly refer to if we leave the Old Testament. So we do like four scriptures, or two more scriptures. Second Peter chapter 2. So you understand the beast of Ephesus, right? Uh, Something was coming to my mind, but uh, I didn't put it down. Uh, you know, when the Bible says, okay, let me, let me, you know, a good, a good student, well, turn to Second Peter, a good student should be able to do a bit of Bible verbal reasoning. Is it verbal reasoning or quantitative reasoning? So having understood this, what do you think the scripture meant when it says, I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions? Who do you think are scorpions? So that's homework. Eh? No, <laughs> do you understand that? I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions. So you can go and research that. You hmm? can go and study that. So it's important that you understand that. That's why sometimes people miss the explanation of Paul's tongue in the flesh. And I think I've explained it to you here. That Paul's tongue in the flesh was not that God gave him sickness. Alright? It was people. Because in the book of Numbers, it talks about these people will become thorns in your flesh. If you don't drive them out, they will become thorns in your flesh. And it calls him a messenger of Satan. Of course. Of course, these people are influenced by Satan to oppose and to deceive. Okay, so are you there in Second Peter? Second Peter chapter 2, I said. Now, go to verse 12. Second Peter 2, 12. Second Peter 2, 12. But these, now when he says but these, but these, he is referring to a certain kind of people. Now remember in our study of the Antichrist, we talked um, about the people Peter was referring to in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 1 and stop at verse 4. Then we're going to go to verse 12 and then we can pick it up from there again. It says, But false prophets, so pay attention now, false prophets also arose among the people just as they were also false teachers. So the group of people Paul, uh, Peter is referring to in his epistle is false prophets and teachers. Among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. We talked about this, many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. 
Look at that emphasis again, dear child of God. The way of truth. Always pay attention to what this beastly nature is against. The way of truth. And in their greed. Remember again, I, t- I told you in the book of Acts chapter 19, one of the reasons why false doctrine prevails is greed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Right? So, you go to verse 4, for if, was, if, for if God would not spare the angels, so he started talking about something else. Now go to verse 12. But these, who, who will these be now? Hey, come on. Who will this be now? The first prophet and what? The, are, you, are you here? Okay. The first prophet and the... But these, like unreasoning animals. Unreasoning animals. Born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. Reviling where they have no knowledge. Will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Now, let's read it from the King James Version. He calls them unreasoning animals. What does the King James say? Natural brute beasts. Made to be taken and destroyed. So he referred to the false prophets and the false teachers as brute beasts. So these are the beasts. So this simply tells you that when we talk about the mark of the beast, we're talking about receiving the identification of false teaching. Because the beast is, is referring to that which opposes the way. False doctrine. Praise God. So we see the use of the beast here. The word beast here was referring to false doctrine and false teachers and false prophets. Go to Titus chapter 1 and verse 11 to 12. Titus chapter 1 and verse 11 to 12. Now, when you read Titus 1, it says, Whose mouth must be stopped? (laughs) Now, it's important to understand. um, Let's hold on a minute. Whose mouth will be stopped? Now, let's go to verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. Verse 10. Verse 10. Titus 1 10. No, you you can go back to the New American Standard Bible. For there are many rebellious men. For there are many rebellious men. So you pay attention to that. It's talking about rebellious men. Okay? Empty talkers and deceivers. See that word there again? Deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision. Alright? Who must be silenced? He said, whose mouth must be stopped? Because they are doing what? Upsetting or overthrowing or misleading whole families. Their teaching is upsetting families. Misleading families. It says, teaching things that should not, they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Can you see that thing again? I've told you. I've told you. You see, always check for false doctrine and money. I'm telling you. That's why some of the doctrines cannot be removed. That's why people will get born again. You keep t- teaching them things that will constantly make them pay for deliverance. You just see it. You just see it. Gain. Because the, the more immature people are kept, the more they want to use money to buy their way out. Now, this is not to preach stinginess. Because that's the, that's the extreme of it. You will have people who are well taught in the local church, well fed in the local church, and they will not give. 
And that's not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of, 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 of being a Christian who doesn't understand spiritual responsibility and obligation. If you are well taught and well fed, you should be in gratitude to God and allowing the truth of that word to reach other people, be a generous giver. If you're not a generous giver, then you're not in support of the truth. Because these people who hear all this kind of, whatever doctrines they hear out there, put all their resources so that those doctrines can go as fast as they can, you do the same with the truth. Alright? So I just needed to say that there. Number 12, one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy glutons. So he called the whole of that tribe evil beasts. So he refers to them as beasts. And Paul uses that word evil beast to also refer to the people that he actually kind of warned us about. The people whose doctrines are upsetting whole families. Alright. Jude one ten. Jude one ten. So can you understand what the beast is now? Hey, can you understand what the beast is now? Right? So let me just tell you. Okay? Let me just give you quickly. For those of you who are interested in studying before we get there. The scripture says that the word sea, so sea is used to refer to many people. Revelation said, it said the, the sea that you saw referred to many people, many multitudes. So when you see that the beast is rising from the sea, eh? remove Bonnie River. Remove Atlantic Ocean. What it just means is the same thing that John said, which said this Antichrist is coming from among us, which means that the deceiver is coming from among the people. Alright? So it's not like, you know, at the end of time, you're just going to see one ferocious beast just come out. You know, when you have watched all of those movies, that's the image that plays. It just means that it's going to come out from among the people. Jude 1.10, so I can wrap this up. Jude 1.10, it says, but these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals. By these things they are destroyed. Now, if you use the uh, King James Version, it talks about, it refers to them as, um, as beasts, brute beasts. And then in the NIV, it calls them irrational animals. So you will realize something very carefully. You realize something that as the translators began to work on that particular phraseology, beast, they began to use more, um, more phrases that we can relate with. So if I say unreasonable animal, you, you, you can understand now. Your mind is not going to go to one ferocious beast. Your mind is going to go to the uncontrollable nature of animals. So when we talk about the beastly nature, we're talking about the human nature that fights and opposes the, ma- the mind of God. Romans 8, 7 talks about that untamed man that, is not, that cannot come into the obedience of the word of God or obedience of the nature of God. So we realize from scripture here that, this is that because the mind set on the flesh is hostile, towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So, you see, the beastly nature is talking about that nature that opposes the way of God, opposes the mind of God, opposes the things of the Spirit. Praise God. So, you see, that's how the word beast is used in scriptures. And if you study further, you now begin to understand. Alright? And like I said, 
when he says, oh, he has the eyes of a lion, don't have caught lion's eyes and put. Because as you try to just put all those images, something very dramatic is going to appear. And that's going to confuse, <laughs> you know, your interpretation of scripture. So this is how the word phrase, the phrase, sorry, the beast is used in the scripture. To refer to men who fight the gospel. The unrestrained canon nature that is hostile towards God. The fleshy nature that fights the ways of God. So when Paul wrestled with the beast of Ephesus, he wrestled with, praise God, the, 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 the ones who supported the way of Athens. So that whole pushing of the gospel against that, that force of wrong doctrine, that's where that whole battle is. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would help us by your grace. The light of your word will be open to us. That we will see the scriptures. We will understand the scriptures. Be able to feed on the scriptures and grow in the knowledge of God's word. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so this, uh, this particular teaching wraps up our very short um, ser- series on eschatology. So we can go into some other things. So spend your time. Go over...